0: just thank God that everyone plays their part, as do you, which is why we're talking about the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to give in our lives. Let's just read Galatians 5 again, and we're making our way through all of these particular dimensions of the singular fruit called uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's not Nine different things, these are all things that are connected to what God is like. So, the fruit of the evidence of having the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and today we're going to look at gentleness, and then next week, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. I hope by now it's pretty clear that the Holy Spirit enables us to become more like Jesus. And so the reason God has given us himself is so that we would be more Jesus-like. But then we get to things like some of you, by nature, by character, by default, by wiring, by background, by upbringing, whatever, you, you have a gentle spirit. Can you, everyone think of someone that when you hear the word gentleness, you can put a face to it? I, I, that's my wife. I mean, she is loving and firm but totally gentle and and kind but when i hear it when i think of the word gentle i almost think like fragile like a a flower easy to break almost i'm not meaning this as a slam but when i think of gentle i almost think of as weak it can it can't hold up it's a really gentle thing until you look at the bible and what the bible defines it as remember It's not so much that words have meanings, that meaning has words. There are ideas that attach themselves in the human language into words. So gentleness may mean one thing in our day, and in our culture, and in our way and view. But before you jump to what you think it is, you want to look at what the Bible word means and what it meant when it was written. And this was actually new to me. I didn't understand that this is what the word gentleness means. Gentleness is a quality of not being overly impressed by uh, someone's own self-importance. So similar words, you could use humility or courtesy or considerateness. It's about not being impressed by your own self. So to say that I, I have the Holy Spirit should lead to a life, a response, a way of treating people that makes little of your importance and much of someone else's value. It's really about being humble. It's about resisting pride. It's about resisting arrogance. It's about resisting this insatiable need that we have in ourselves to feel better about ourselves by making ourselves more than we really are. And in a culture, this is why The spirit matters in our life. Our culture is impressed with themselves. It's all about being someone. And to be someone, you must put yourself forward. It's the the engine that drives social media. It's the engine that drives wanting to be around people that are quote unquote famous, right? There's this need to be attached to something bigger. But the good news is Jesus shows us the better way. And so instead of being filled with so, my own self-importance, I'm called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's gonna produce into me something. A helpful quote, once again, by uh, Christopher Wright. I'm quoting from him almost every week because he has such good insights. He's a, an Old Testament scholar out of the UK, and he puts it this way, quote, gentleness is very close to patience. If patience is the ability to endure hostility and criticism without anger, then gentleness is the ability to endure such things without, notice, aggression. Gentleness shows itself when I've learned that the Christ-like way to respond to conflicts and quarrels, rejection, unfairness, or harsh words spoken against me is not with bluster and self-defense, not with harsh and aggressive words, not with angry gestures and facial expressions, not with, this is my favorite part, prickles and spikes, whatever that is, but rather with softness, controlling my tongue and my temper, prickles and spikes. I actually had to look it up. Prickles like a thorn, like a prickly pear. Like, um, but we can respond in various ways, and, and so God wants to produce his patience in us, which gives me the internal ability to deal with hard circumstances, right? I see and work with you all the time and you really rub me the wrong way, but I can invite God to work out patience in me that I can, that I can walk day by day with you and treat you as God would treat you. Patience is the internal guide. But yet it's coupled, we're invited to see God produce gentleness, which has to do with the way I actually treat you. I can, I can give you the kind word, but the ugly face, you know? I can, I can treat you with harsh words. I can be mean, I can be vindictive, and, and gentleness is about how you and I live in the real world and treat people who might not be following Jesus or following Jesus, yet still growing in their Jesus-likeness. And so this is something that we can all grow in. And today, I just wanna invite all of us, whether here or or watching online, I wanna invite us to respond to what God is doing. I think so often we hear messages, and the reason we do community groups is to give you a forum to talk about and respond and wrestle and question and pray. But today, since we're together in this space, I wanna invite you to respond to the grace of God And I want to invite you to receive from his loving, kind, gentle soul, if I could use that word, whatever you need. And so in a few minutes, when we finish our little talk on gentleness, we're going to invite you to receive prayer. And that takes a bit of gentleness in your own soul that's sometimes filled with angst about being seen as someone who might need something. I'm going to invite you to walk, physically walk, and receive prayer today, uh, because we all need God. But I mean, That requires a humility in our own soul to say that, God, I know you're real, and I know you're here, and I know you're working, and I want what you want. So I don't want you to be surprised, but towards the end, we've, we've kind of set up this gathering to give space for us to respond. So if there's just something in your life as I'm talking for the next few minutes that you feel like is not right with God, this is the place and this is the time and God has set aside this little building and these chairs and this venue for us to humbly consider the goodness of God and say, God, I want what you want. So if there's a roadblock in my life, make it clean. Remove it. If there's an attitude that's off, God, I want to be honest about that. If, if I'm just feeling dry in soul and, Lord, would you bring the living water, to use the language of Jesus, and refresh me. He said, rivers of living water would flow through us, which he was speaking of the spirit. So what we want to not do is hear about an abstract force called God, but rather recognize that God is real, realer than you think. He's more real than you. And he's the creator, and he loves us, and he wants us to participate with him. So we're just we're moving from hearing about to actually walking. Does that make sense? So if God stirs you at the end, when we just say, "Well, you just, will you just come make that right with God," we're going to invite you to walk and to pray. And our prayer team is just going to be around to to pray God's blessing over your life. You can you can make that peace with God. You can have that conversation with God, but. We want to pray one for another that there might be healing. That's where we're heading. But, um, but gentleness is so needed. When I think about um, where I lack, this is like one of the big ones. Uh, in, in our house, we like pizza. My wife and I were born and raised in New York. You got to like pizza if you're from a pizza city. And so what we would make pizza, we actually have a pizza oven in our backyard, a brick one. We didn't do it when we bought the house. It was already there. It takes like five hours to heat up so I don't use it, but it looks pretty. And, um, but we like, you know, like make the dough and make homemade pizzas in our house and, you know, put the toppings out and make your own. And we, we love it, but it's kind of a joke in our house. Don't let dad make the pizza, right? Because I would, we've got like a double oven. So, you know, we got two going, but it's on more than one occasion, I will confess, when using like the little nice stone that you put in the oven, get all hot or whatever, trying to get it off the stone, I've instead of sliding it under the pizza i've kind of crunched the pizza and pushed the pizza to the back of the oven and the cheese spills and it bends over and there's like the masterpiece now crunched in the corner burning on the oven and of course i'm a calm soul and so this is not a big deal and so you know you you put the little spatula thing you scoop on your pizza and you get gravity and boom, <laughs> into the trash cuz the trash is right by the ovens where it should be <laughs> And so, now, if it happened once, it's a fluke. When it happens more than once, it's a habit. And so, in our house, it's like, Dad, we can have pizza, but you can't make the pizza. And uh, here's the sad part. Uh, Coupled with my literally taking the hot pizza and crushing what's left of it and throwing it in the trash, my poor family is seated right at the table, hungry. As I'm blurting out words that you shouldn't, I'm not going to mention what they were. I've forgotten them but I think my kids may remember. Um, we need, coupled with patience, gentleness, and uh, it's embarrassing, but it's true, because here's the, here's the challenge with our response to people. Most often, people are not gonna remember a natural, healthy, good response. I love to cook, and so in our house, we divvy up the roles. I do more cooking than, than, than Carmen does or our kids do. I enjoy it. I love it. It's it's like relaxing and creative, but but our, our kids don't remember when I make it right. They don't remember, you know, like prepare mise en place, and then and then make the food and the cleanup afterwards. Meal is done in out repeat day after day after day. But they do remember me making pizza because of my response, which is very unlike Jesus. And this is why, friends, we need the filling and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, because when we walk into a room, God has come in and through us to be his representatives, right? And so when we claim the name of Jesus, when we say that we belong to Jesus, what we want is, what, now we're not gonna always get it right, but what we want to do is to grow in, in acting and living as Jesus would. So here's what we wanna do. Let's look at two examples real quick of, of how God comes to people with gentleness we're gonna look at the Old Testament in First Kings and we'll look at the New Testament in the Gospel of John. And then I wanna invite you to respond because what we want is God who is loving and kind and good and powerful and awesome but is also gentle and lowly and near and present and real. We want him to come and renew us even as we worship today. All right, let's look at First Kings if you have your Bible. First Kings chapter 19, I know it's the place you normally go when you're looking for devotional material. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're gonna read the first few verses. It's about a prophet named Elijah. So let's just read for a little bit. I want you to notice how does God come to one of his leaders who seemingly gets off track. The Bible says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now, some of us are familiar with the Bible narrative. Some are newer. Uh, Elijah is a prophet. He speaks for God. And he's, he's, his calling is to hear God's words and to share God's words with God's people, and King Ahab is a leader over Israel, except Ahab marries Jezebel who's from another country with other foreign gods, and rather than him influencing her, she influences him, and she brings about all this worship in God's land, with God's people, in God's space, that is not honoring to the creator. Instead of worshiping Yahweh, the God who made the heavens and the earth, who led them out of Egypt, into the land of promise, the one who called them like he was their father to these children, they started to worship the king down to the people, the Baals, these false gods, so much so that the prophets of this false god were flourishing and because of Jezebel's influence were growing and she was murdering God's leaders. How is that for the king and his wife? Instead of leading with righteousness and justice, this is a total mess. But God raises up Elijah, and if you read chapter 18, this afternoon, forget Netflix, read chapter 18, it is amazing, it's like an old Western movie, because you have Elijah who goes up, and with all these 450 prophets, he says, let's know who God is, for real. And so they set up two little places to worship, and, he, and Elijah just prompts these gods, hey, we wanna get to know your gods better, so set up a little sacrifice, and, and let's see if your God will bring down fire. And the God that brings down fire to consume the sacrifice, yeah, that's the God we should follow. And, and if you read chapter 18, it's almost comical. All day long, these prophets are screaming and crying out and cutting themselves and saying, God, will you come, will you come, will you come? And silence. And then Elijah, so that everyone would know the true God, the real king, is Yahweh. He sets up a place to worship the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and he sets it up, and then he tells the others, douse it with water till a little ravine, a little trench around it is filled with water, and then Elijah calls out on God and comes down with fire and burns the sacrifice, giving a visible, dynamic, Proof to the people, if you want to know who the real God is, the real God shows up, and he's filled with shock and awe. Okay, so this is the setting for a God who's also gentle. So uh, Elijah, at this point, he's used by God to stop these other false prophets, but then Jezebel gets a word to this key leader, I'm going to take you out. Notice verse 3. That's all the setup. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I love the Bible because it's filled with raw honesty. One day, he's this towering figure filled with confidence, 450 to one, no big deal. Yahweh is with him. But then the queen threatens him after he's seen God come with power, and he runs like a chicken. And I can totally relate. Ever been at church on Sunday, all is well, go back to your house, and all hell breaks loose? Forget, forget going home, you made it to the car. And all hell brings us. And you get that email, or you get that text, or you have that meeting on Monday, and it's as if God doesn't exist. Am I the only honest soul here? No, we're just like the prophet. One moment encountering God, next moment running and hiding and wishing that God had left us alone. Notice, notice. How God comes with fire when needed when the world needs to know what God is like our God is a consuming fire Amen. alive full of life but unrelenting power you don't mess with the creator and yet is that what Elijah needs keep reading all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat. And he looked around, and there was by his head, there was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and strengthened from that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, And there he went into a cave and spent the night. I love it. God's like baking sourdough for little Elijah, like fresh bread and water. He's in the desert. He's hungry. He's he's thirsty. He's parched. He's spent. And how does God come to Elijah? Exactly how he needs God to come. This boy needs a nap and this boy needs a meal. He is a hangry prophet. And so God sends his angel and says, my servant needs a break. And then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to debt with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great... And powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And I just, I love the beauty of what God has recorded for us for all time. There are all these powerful signs. But what, what does Elijah really need? What do we need in the moment God comes to him as a gentle whisper. So just know this and write it down. Gentleness is, is power restrained. God shows himself in the fire for sure. And the earthquake, that, sure, he could do that. And, and all the visible big signs, but there are moments when we even need God to come to us with his power restrained in gentleness. Now, the reason I say that is because gentleness can be mistaken for weakness, and nothing can be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit has not come to make us weak. He's come to let us be used by him in all of God's power, but sometimes that power needs to be restrained. God could rebuke Elijah. God could 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 Slap Elijah, God could stop Elijah. But what does God do? He feeds him and he nourishes his body with water. He cares for him, the angels watch over him. And then he says, no, I'm gonna come near to you with a gentle whisper. And if we kept reading, we won't for time. God reminds Elijah, there's a work for you to do. And even though he's running and hiding and and is trying to flee from Jezebel, afraid for his own life, you know what God says to him? Get back. Here's my word to you. There's another king that I want you to anoint. There's a future for Israel. There's a future for you. Get back in the word. And let me tell you, friends, as I was praying and, and just thinking about this message today, I'm just gonna literally read what I wrote because I was like, man, this is for somebody. So if this is for you, just receive it. That is a word for some of you today. Yes, God has used you in the past. You sense his presence You've partnered with him to do all sorts of things, but you look at your life right now with genuine disappointment, regret, mixed with some doubt and confusion. Let me remind you, God's calling you back gently. And by the Holy Spirit, sometimes it seems like God is whispering in our ears. We just know this is right or wrong. We know that something needs to change. Please don't Ignore God's gentle nudge. Talk with someone today. In a few minutes, respond to God with prayer and a turning, a repentance. Turn away for whatever is keeping you from his loving direction. And, that, and I'll just move on. But I, I just, as I was uh, just on Monday of this week, thinking, and I typed it, and I was like, Dang. I don't think that's just good advice. I think that's a word of encouragement for someone. If that's you, just receive that. God's not done with you yet. God wants to gently lead his kids back. Okay, so, so God is the God of the fire, God of the thunder, God of the earthquake, but he, he appears to Elijah in gentleness. And then one example more common, so we'll read it quickly because you already get it the moment I give you the reference. Why don't you turn your Bible to the right to John, And go to John, um, or flip in your app, go to John 4, and let's just look at Jesus with a woman in Samaria. You already know the punchline, because you see God approaching people with a humility, with consideration, with a genuine care. And we see it in this encounter. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the interpretation, because we don't know because we weren't there. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Sir, so the woman asked, you have nothing to draw w- with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, well, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. And what you've said is quite true. And we could go on and read the entire encounter, but she's blown away by what Jesus knows that he should not know. And I want us just to see for a moment How astonishingly gentle Jesus is with her in walking through an opening moment, which is she's come to grab water for cooking, cleaning, and life. How Jesus perceives God has something more for her. He wants to produce in her life that rolls and grows into eternal life. She's a woman who's far from the knowledge of God and the love of God and And Jesus wants to draw her close. So what he does is he engages in this regular conversation. And little by little, moment by moment, he draws her in. And with the call to her husband, he does not shame her. Now, my immediate perception, like yours, is when we read it, is to say, man, this woman must have been really scandalous. We actually don't know that. The text doesn't tell us why the divorce has happened. As a matter of fact, divorce was the right of a man in her culture, not a woman. It could be that these five disappointing, lame guys pushed her away and left her to suffer. We don't know. The the text doesn't tell us. What we do know is that after five relationships gone bad and a current one that's not the way God intended, Jesus' words do not push her away. I want you to think about that. When you get caught up and I get caught up in standing for what's right, what would it look like if we did it with gentleness followed by self-control? Which, what is self-control? Control Control yourself. (laughs) Forget for a moment that you're trying to be right is killing this person. And I don't know if she needed an overdose of truth because it seemed like her heart was gentle and warm because as she begins to see who Jesus is, she's attracted to what he has to say, not repelled by the way he says it. So gentleness isn't an abstract concept for a few people who are weak. It's actually the heart of God. So let's just jump down to verse 27 to John 4 to get the end. Here's the result. Just then, the disciples returned, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. <laughs> this is so crazy. Jesus is so humble, he's willing to have people say bad things about him because he will talk to people that other people won't talk to. That's the heart of God. And so, but no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with? They're then leaving the water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. I, I just want us to be reminded, it was Jesus's tone. He speaks the truth always, but he has a way of speaking the truth that draws people in. It's usually, when you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospels, Jesus's harshest words are usually at the religious leaders who have a hard heart. People who thump other people with their Bibles and say, why don't you tithe? Why don't you do this? Why aren't you as good as me? Why don't you measure up? And it's the broken who actually want to live close, close to God, who want the heart of God. Jesus knows the tenderness of their heart just like he knows the tenderness of your heart. And so he never denies or hides the truth. He never says, hey, it's okay. You know, you do you, I'll do me. No, he's God. Yet he doesn't come to her with hurricane, thunder, lightning, fire. She needs gentleness. And so this is what gentleness will do. When we're filled with the Spirit and we invite the Holy Spirit to come and reshape us, we will be able to speak the truth in ways that will further conversation, not end it. I'll give you a tip on sharing Jesus. If people don't wanna be around you anymore, it's hard to tell them about his love. It's really hard to communicate God's love with people when you scowl at them or point the finger. I am not in any way suggesting we water down the truth because Jesus is truth, but he's truth that comes in gentle ways. So let's apply it to us. In light of what we see in God, meeting Elijah exactly where he needs God to meet him at. He's at a very broken state. And if you, in your own world, you're like, man, things are not the way they should be Maybe you're not Elijah, you haven't abandoned your call and run away to a foreign land and you're trying to hide from God's work in your life. Maybe you're not like this woman and you don't have a long list of reasons why people don't want to hang out with you. But God knows the heart. And as he gently comes, what I'm inviting you to do in just a moment is to respond in a way that's fitting because we see in the Bible how we live gentleness out. I'll give you just one example, there are many. Galatians 6, right after the telling of the fruit of the Spirit, right after it, you get these words of instruction, which I think are application. Brothers and sisters, us, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Holy Spirit should remind them of what they've done. It's not what it says, is it? You who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Gently. But, now here's the clarifier, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted, so don't be a fool, don't walk down the same path. But verse two, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We all know people, all of us in this room right now, Maybe they're people we live with. Maybe they're people we're sitting right next to. Maybe they're p- people we work with or in our neighborhood. We know people that were once closer to God as best as we can perceive, but for some reason are not warm to his love or ignited by his presence as they used to be. And, and, and frankly, during the last three years, we've all seen it, haven't we? We've seen it in ourselves and we've definitely seen it in others where someone who was at once passionate has now seemingly grow grown cold. What's the instruction? Of course, because we are prone to slide, we watch our own selves, we're careful, we do things in group, we're, we're thoughtful when someone is going against the way of Jesus. But but if someone it, it's obvious that they're not in the right, we're to gently, lovingly not avoid them, not lambast them, not ignore them. No restore, the goal for Elijah was restoration. The goal for the Samaritan woman is she knew God in part, but Jesus came so that she would know God in full. The goal is to bring people to experience life in Jesus. Unfortunately, if we're not careful and we don't lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be the ones, you ever just hear, whether it's a story of a big name, whatever that is, or someone else who's just made a mistake committed a sin, done something that everyone knows is wrong and is busted? And what's the first thing we're prone to do? Man, I can't believe they. (laughs) We'll just go, because that was my first response. I'm the first hypocrite. Like, man, I can't believe. And then I realize, well, geez, I did something not as obvious. Or I did something that was really close to that and I didn't get caught. And God, in his mercy, when I confessed, he forgave me. We're we're usually, because when we're not leaning into the power of God's presence, we're usually quick to judge, aren't we? But notice the tone, restore people gently. Yeah, we're careful, but the goal is that we would love people back to closeness, and and here's the beautiful part. We can do this. We can actually do this together. And so, so we want to be careful that we don't slip, but we want to be careful that we don't also push people away. I think some would love to draw close to Jesus again, but it's been the response of Jesus' kids that's made it challenging. It's like, man, I can't go there because they're going to all judge me or look that way at me. And when you look at God and Elijah and you look at... Jesus in this womb, and this woman, you realize God's power is restrained for their good to draw them back. And so we're invited. So what am I saying? God's gently calling all of us. We want to live this way. The goal of looking at the fruit of the Spirit is that we'd actually live into this. But first, we we need to experience the refreshing presence of the Lord as well, don't we? And when you experience the gentle kind love of God that forgives and restores and changes and empowers, then of course, too much is given, much will be required. You'll want, you'll want to extend grace when you've experienced it first. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And what we want to do is just make room, okay? Now, I gently told you this was already going to happen. So this is no surprise, but what I want to invite you to do is to, with humility in your own soul, right, with a, a lowness in your own soul, to say, like, you know what, I'm not the only person that has moments where I need to make things right with God. I'm not the only person that at times just needs to come clean with what I've thought, what I've done, what I've failed to do, and invite the Spirit of God to restore and bring wholeness.